Lead, lead, lead. What is happening? Welcome to Working Hours, a show about a place called Leeds, a time called Now, and an activity called Work. Working Hours wants to record 1,000 loiners over the course of this, the most important decade in the history of the human species, and ask them what they do all day and hear how they feel about it. My name is Simon, and this is all my fault. What did you want to be when you grew up? Think when I wanted to go up originally, it feel like the thing that jumps to mind, because there's a photo of it that I can think of, is a builder. <laughs> how, how old would you have been then? I want to say it was maybe five, four or five-ish in the picture. Yeah. Basically, I've got my uh, dad's sort of construction hat and his tool belt yeah. and fully dressed up. I used to come with him on site, that sort of thing. So he's, uh, like he's, he used to be a site manager, sort of uh, does other things now, but mm. that's sort of where he started. Um, but yeah, he used to take I me, mean, I sunk. <laughs> so I, I I thought it was great babysitting. I don't think they'd let that happen now, to be honest. Do you remember? I feel, I feel like there might be a few more health and safety issues. <laughs> I still love going to get to sort of, um, I guess it's, uh, I can sort of connect it to me being a creative person now when that I was able to put things together and sort of play with bits of materials and sort mm. of keep eye myself that way. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, I uh, haven't gone into construction yet. <laughs> You're listening to Series 3, Episode 19, and to my guest, Sarah Gordon. This is another Zoom interview recorded on the 10th of June, 2022. Hello, loves. Sarah Gordon is a freelance designer and tutor from and based in Leeds. She is currently working on her PhD, which embraces the worlds of design, education and mental well-being, exploring black students' experience of university life through design-led methods. Sarah's PhD allows her to demonstrate design's value in research and work in an area that is meaningful to her, advocating for black voices in higher education. There's a dropout in sound early on in this one, but it soon comes back, so do stay with it. Again, record quality isn't best here, but it does settle down and your ear does adjust. Leads, please remember to like, share, follow and subscribe to this podcast. And don't forget, Leads, I'm doing all I can to bring this to you. So if you do value anything about it, then you have to make an effort to protect it because nobody else will. Talk about working hours in the pub, you know, like how you're inculcated to promote the government or some billionaire's talking points in the pub. You know, like they make you do, but they don't make you do it because really the media doesn't affect you, does it? It only affects other people, doesn't it? Say working hours in the pub, I dare you. I double dare you. Get your friends together and ask each other my questions. You should know what they are by now. I nearly do. Please give money to Working Hours and please give me any feedback, questions or comments that you may have. Email workinghourspod at western-studios.com or use Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Nextdoor or LinkedIn to get in touch with me. Links for all of my social channels, except for Nextdoor, are in the outros of these episodes along with contact information for my podcast production company, Western Studios Leeds Limited. Any support that any listener anywhere can give this show will help me to keep working hours free for anyone in Leeds or elsewhere to listen to these interviews. More importantly, it helps me to keep doing this at all. Making working hours is not getting any easier. If anything, it's getting much harder to do. So I need support anywhere I can get it.
Remember, the more you do, the more the podcast can do. Please share working hours and engage any way you can. And please do get in touch if you wish to advertise your lease business campaign, whatever, on this show. If you like this show, please support me in making it bigger and better however you can. Now then, please enjoy this totally free and totally ad-free, as far as I know, episode of Working Hours with Sarah Gordon. So so what is it that you are doing now? So at the moment, I'm doing my PhD. I'd say first, though, that I'm a graphic designer. Um, and I think it can be a little bit confusing to be in design. It will come back. Come on. Come on, internet. Okay. You're back. Hello. Hello. My internet <laughs> just decided that was the perfect moment to cut out. And since then, I've just hot spotted my phone and I'll see. Hopefully, it'll come back on at some point. Yeah. Hopefully the connection's not too bad. <laughs> yeah, but that was, uh, I, I, the second it started, that was the, like the other bit of my spiel that I forgot. I was like, if it if it freezes, because it happens a fair bit, like don't panic, we'll, we'll sort of get get back. Yeah. Uh, so I'll just start. I'll I literally just, forgot what I said. <laughs> no, I'll just start from the top again. So uh, we'll go into, yeah. Uh, yeah, so what are you doing now? Okay, and so I'm a predominantly a graphic designer, but I'm currently doing my PhD, um, which can be strange for some people because they don't often connect design uh, to an academic subject. It's mm. sort of more of a, I don't know, like just a creative pursuit, play with your crayons type thing. <laughs> but um, for me... <laughs> It's been connected to every part of my career and um, sort of no matter what role I've worked in, I've always done something related to it. And I've found that I've always ended up working in design. So the last few years I've been working mainly freelance. Um, you know, I've worked in different sort of agencies and companies and things, but um, I've been focusing more now on what I kind of wanted to do. Mm -hmm. So I've been able to pivot that into my PhD mm. and sort of embrace a topic and a passion, something that I've wanted to have the space to explore, but wasn't able to do sort of within uh, maybe a freelance job mm -hmm. or a one-off graphic design project. Um, and that's exploring the area of mental health, focusing on black students in particular using methods that are from the world of design and creativity mm. and bringing sort of my two interests and passions together and that's what I'm up to at the moment. Okay so sort of on a practical kind of day-to-day -day level what does that involve? I mean is it just gaining and looking through masses and masses of data or are you like do you get to do like is part of it that you get to creatively represent such data, for example? Like, what's what's the nitty gritty of it? So, for a PhD, I am doing a traditional one, and um, there are sort of models where some people might focus more just on creative practice and more on that space. And mm -hmm. uh, but I do sort of sit design away from arts and fine arts. I mean, it's an entirely separate academic school. You know, they have 
similarities, but they're entirely different. Um, and design in particular is generally a lot more analytical and sort of lends itself to more analysis. But that's the kind of boring part. I think the thing that excites me about it that I find the most useful and what I've been able to use in my study is that it embraces things like participation and working with people, thinking it sort of outside the box and not necessarily going with the first idea and saying this is done, you know, you can be iterative and mm. not necessarily commit to something if it's not working. Mm-hmm. And I like that as a, you know, a way of thinking and just a way of being. <laughs> I try to do some research when I'm, when I'm doing this, yeah. like around people. And then, you know, when I ask people to give me a bit of a bio, that's, that's me to get, it, it's like, it's for my show notes, but it also, if I can't find anything else about someone then, yeah. But, um, but we sort of met through LinkedIn and yeah. like, so I know that you've got previous work experience before the, the PhD. So it's not like you went yeah. straight, you know, through a whole academic continuous career so yeah. far. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what brought you onto the PhD and like, yeah. how easy was it to get funding? And uh, yeah, so talk us through getting into yeah. this. Right. Yeah, so I've remembered what I was going to say now, makes sense with this. So as I was sort of working through my design career and things, um, I left an in-house job and started working on freelance projects, um, lots of different businesses and sort of a variety of things. It did allow me to be a bit more choosy. So I did get to work on a couple of projects that were sort of more charity focused and a bit more uh less product driven because I think I was feeling burnt out by sort of working in more of a marketing environment and mm-hmm. um, and I decided to do a master's as well um so I did my master's in design and mm-hmm. um, just because I was like I you know, it's something I do all the time. I never actually studied design formally yeah. or sort of, you know, took any tests in I'm a graphic designer. So I just felt like it was something that I wanted to do to sort of have that on paper and see what I could learn. And sort of through that process, I was able to work, you know, freelance and at the same time, learn about design more from an academic point of view and how it can mm. be useful and how it is a discipline and you know, like the potential of using it for bigger pieces of research and things that I didn't sort of really picture before, to be honest. And mm-hmm. I, I don't think it goes to my mind. And um, I think I was very, very lucky at the time, to be honest, because I was uh, briefly working at a service uh, at Leeds University while I was doing my master's. Mm-hmm. And some of the projects that we were working on were sort of like... Uh, building online courses and you know both students sort of uh, log in and might have to click for a few things and have a test that sort of thing I'm mm-hmm. simpl- oversimplifying this <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah we were busy yeah but yeah it um and a lot of the people that I worked with all had PhDs and such varied disciplines and things that I just would have never have pictured and they were sort of all very encouraging of what I was interested in and my ideas as well. So 
I do think that sort of was helpful. And one of the courses that I worked on actually was um, onboarding for the next year's uh, postgraduate students. Mm -hmm. So I actually had a sneak preview of videos from uh, different researchers talking about their PhDs. Um, and as I was doing sort of bits of the um, transcriptions and subtitles at the time or something like that, I was watching these videos for hours. And I was, I do think by the end of it, I was like, you know what? I think maybe I could do a PhD. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it, it did, it did help. And funnily enough, even now, um, it's a very small world because I'm in a research network and mm. the video that I think that sticks out in my mind the most, um, he's actually just finished his PhD and was mm. in the same work. So it's, it's weird to sort of see that full journey. And um, <laughs> But yeah, in my master's, I was able to do a specialist project um, where I use some sort of tools from the design world. So there's these things called design probes. I, I don't like that term. I think it's very ugly phrase, but you know, <laughs> and, and I don't like to use it. And, you know, in my own study, I pulled them like creative journals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not it's not very inviting, is it? Really, when you ask these people, it's too do probing, you, like, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, like can I can I probe you? <laughs> so I've been yeah trying to adjust that a bit, and sometimes they're called cultural probes as well, and. And I think probably a few other things, but essentially you sort of make a, a kit almost of prompts and questions and ideas to sort of get a window into somebody's life without following them around. Yeah. yeah. And I don't think you can do that really with, I mean, you can do that, you know, there's a um, sort of ethnography and it has sort of a, a similarity to that sort of thing, you know, looking into the daily lives of people. Mm. But I think in the design, the difference is it's the sort of care and attention in the resource that you create to give to people. Mm -hmm. So rather than maybe saying to them, I don't know, just sending a quick survey link and just asking them, even what did you do today and what did you not like about this product or this experience and just you know they're not bad questions necessarily but I think if you took that more creatively and designed that experience more you can find ways to do things you know so one example is if you do this not online is to give people a disposable camera Mm -hmm. and ask them to say, and say, the question is, how do you feel today? But instead of them responding necessarily with just text, mm -hmm. you ask them to take some photos mm -hmm. and you sort of can use these visual prompts because I think then people think a little differently about the way they're responding mm -hmm. and you get back more information for design. Mm -hmm. Hopefully that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Yeah. I, I mean, you, you, getting people to think a bit differently and then i mean because it the the benefit comes from the aggregate mm. of the data doesn't it it is sort of like yeah. smashing everything together and then going okay so if we look at this thing so if we look at for example trees like okay so how many people out of those photos have taken trees 
uh, within their photos, what kind of trees are there? Is does that tell us anything? Like, does it just tell us things about trees? Like, <laughs> uh, that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. I think it's well sort of with design and this method and and why I sort of was so I became so attached to it in sense of similar things in this world of co-design and participation and um, sort of then freedom in it as well and that sort of ambiguous mm. nature with not necessarily knowing what you're going to get back which I think does put put, put people off and um, and make them sort of reluctant to embrace it as a method because you can't guarantee what you'll get not everybody feels creative not everybody sees things in the same way you know mm. In some things, I might still get participants that send me back things that are just, you know, um, text responses, but that's not necessarily a bad thing because I still think the way that the thing is designed and the way I've sort of thought about uh, and the way I'm asking them sort of these personal questions about their experiences Mm. is still pulling out the same information and the same sort of it gives you the same space to reflect. And I think mm. that's the part that I like the most um, is having the freedom to reflect and not, and not feel sort of, I don't know, restricted almost by the, the questions that you're being asked. Mm. Or like the, I, I suppose I could say even the, um, you know, like the freedom to not have an opinion yet <laughs> in mm. a way of like, you know, because quite often there can be this feeling of like, well, what do you think about X? And what do you, you know, what's going on here? And you should know about this. And it's kind of like, well, I don't know yet. Let's see what happens. And let's see what this tells me. And let's see where it goes. I think particularly when you're asking people about an experience, you know, whether that's, you know, sort of more in a traditional design job where I'm asking somebody about the experience of using a product, mm. if you sort of, don't give them room to explore it. I don't think you're going to get that much value if you try to use that information, particularly for something creative, mm. but also if you're sort of already in a space where there's a, a potential misconnect or you're trying to reach a population that's maybe smaller or harder to reach, or, you know, there's just something that's not quite been landing. I mm. think you're likely to fall into the same trap mm. if you sort of stick to, I guess, and a sort of more, I mean, I don't want to use the word structured necessarily, because I don't think it's entirely unstructured, but you know, you don't, it's that sort of thing, mm. really. Yeah. Or did you go straight into your master's or did you, you do a degree first? No, so um, I had quite a long break, so I don't feel like when I started my master's, everyone thought I was really old to <laughs> You know, I was just called, uh, told I was very mature. I've viewed too many sad things, to be honest. <laughs> um, you know, uh, but it, it, was, it was a bit weird going back after sort of being in work and being in a sort of normal, just, I don't know, like mm. everyday sort of freelance and kind of client roles and just sort of doing design and as well as I do bits of it sort of more content design as well and other things and yeah so it was it was a very odd transition really um 
to sort of launch into academics again. Um, and I guess in a subject that I've never actually formally studied, mm-hmm. but in that sort of, as I sort of briefly mentioned with the specialist project that I was able to do the topic of it, because we were allowed to sort of be flexible and choose something. And I sort of found this method that I was like, I really like this idea and there's something really appealing about it. And thinking about the things that I was actually interested in and how I could use sort of design almost as an advocacy tool. Um, I chose to do my specialist project, just looking at the the experiences of a few uh, students in general. Mm-hmm. And um, these students were all from, yeah, trying to think back now, I think in the end, it, it was all black students and one Asian student, but, you know, it was open to all students, but, you know, it was a small pool of, very, very small pool of participants. Mm-hmm. And so as I was going through the study, I was able to use this sort of cultural design probe tool to talk about their experiences and with them and pull information out. A lot of the themes I pulled back from their responses and the sort of things that they said or shared were all related to mental health Mm -hmm. and sort of really, I I don't know, explicitly connected to, I guess, race and ethnicity, mental health and their university experience. Mm -hmm. And it just really sort of stood out as something that I felt like just did not have enough space to really actually investigate in such a short amount of time in a master's project and really be uh sort of i don't know uh just have enough time to really explore it and see what i could actually do with what they've said in that case because it was a smaller project and sim against a little and a simple is probably the wrong word um because it was a smaller project I used the responses to then create posters, like sort of digital posters with quotes and visual representations of mm-hmm. themes I'd pulled from reading these responses, which, you know, could then be used as a sort of like talking point. And mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it just felt like I could have done so much more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I sort of went after that after my masters, just straight back into regular work, and just it just didn't feel right to be honest. Um, just felt like something was missing. Um, was it just kind of circling uh, around in your head? Then it was just like yeah, just mm. like all these things that people. I just honestly didn't expect to work all this that people would actually open up in this way. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, like it wouldn't, because it can be very confusing and weird and like, why are you asking me to do this sort of thing? And, but people enjoyed it and I enjoyed doing it. So it was something that I wanted to at least attempt again in some way. Mm-hmm. I think around the time before the pandemic, I was sort of doing a few freelance things and trying to think what to do next. Um, and started to just note down a few ideas here and there of like how I could turn it into something. And I don't know, just sort of reading around to see, because I didn't, as any black student, um, 
well, I wasn't at the time, then I finished. But I didn't want to go into it and people to think that I was only doing it because I was a black student. Because, you know, obviously that is part of it, but it's not really the reason that I am exploring it. It's not the main, you know, it's not what the sort of conclusions and analysis, it's not about me. <laughs> it's, but I have, you know, a passion and an interest in it. And honestly, it almost feels like it was pure as I was a sort of tentatively thinking of ideas, I stumbled across a incredibly specific PhD opportunity for funding, um, which was actually originally with Loughborough University. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was, so there's a large sort of multi-team interdisciplinary creative project between quite a few research partners. And as that, they were uh, using some of that funding sort of a legacy of the study to bring on some new PhD students and hmm. um, that are sort of interested in creative bits of storytelling, I guess, almost and digital stories and sort of looking at social justice and health issues from this sort of uh, creative perspective. Mm -hmm. So I sort of pitched my co-design PhD idea of you know working with students to create something and i think i originally actually said that i would just work with students of racialized backgrounds and not specifically back student black students because i still think i wasn't quite confident enough that i could just say that that's what i wanted to do <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and that i'd be able to get funded to be honest yeah, yeah. and at the time that's sort of what what I said, um, but in the interview, the person that's supervising now, who is actually from the university of Nottingham, contacted me afterwards and asked if he'd rather come to Nottingham and join him instead. <laughs> and he, you know, did scare me through me. And I was like, oh God, he's going to say I'm not going But, you know, it was good news instead. Um, then it, Basically, I think I just sort of, you know, it did work out really well that I sort of fit into his world. So um, he's actually the world's first ever uh, professor of health humanities. Mm. Um, so that is, you know, it's looking at anything really in that sort of health and well-being and self-care and anything like that, but mm. from a perspective that's bringing in like arts and humanities into the process mm. in a meaningful way, not sort of as a add-on at the end. Yeah. And in, in, in instance, so many projects, <laughs> so many huge things and published some really great books and things at the moment. And I was just, yeah, it's really grateful to be sort of taken on board mm -hmm. uh, because I do think it helped as well to give me the confidence to push through with my study and... I was able to sort of explore and see an example really from someone who's sort of done something that's bigger. Mm -hmm. You know, he's not a designer and it, I think he's, you know, his background is in mental health and he was a mental health nurse. He's a professor. Mm -hmm. um, but he is also a writer and an author mm -hmm. and in this sort of creative humanities world and understands my perspective in the way that I want to sort of look at things. Mm -hmm. 
and um, um, which was really useful for me. And as part of that, I do have another supervisor who is a psychologist, <laughs> mm-hmm. which again, I think people are like think it's strange, you know, that we're all sort of able to understand each other and connect our ideas. But I think having those different sort of ways of looking helps build a better, a bigger picture. And mm. uh, so the project that he was working on um, is called What's Up With Everyone. So there's a website that's live at the moment. I, I think there's going to be some more sort of uh, information and press and uh, papers and things in the next uh, few weeks, actually. I know there's been a few papers published since. Mm-hmm. But the apartments were very exciting. So it was the University of Nottingham as sort of part of the Institute of Mental Health, which is based there. And then it was the University of Loughborough and their story at the Digital Storytelling Academy, which is where I technically applied to. (laughs) Uh, The Mental Health Foundation and partners as well. Um, The most exciting one that people always want to talk about is Ardman Studios, who actually sort of made the projects, um, (laughs) which, you know, I could could understand. Yeah. Wallace and Gromit. Wallace and Gromit fame. Yeah. Like, it's it's very, very exciting. I mean, I can't deny that I didn't sort of see that. I think, oh my God, it's exciting. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But yeah, then there's um, also um, the London School of Economics uh, and Political Science, uh, uh, Bus Media, Happy Space, and um, it was an Arts and Humanities Research Council funded project. So I feel like this project is a great example for me because it's a very easy way for me to sort of give people an idea of what on earth you need to at the moment. Mm. <laughs> uh, even though it's in a different area, they worked with um, young people, and I think age 17 to 21, in a, so, uh, this co-design project exploring mental health. Um, and worked with the over sort of a, a time period to produce a series of short films on different themes mm-hmm. uh, where these young people were able to contribute and uh, they create like these characters that are completely new but have that I guess Ardman feel you know they do look very Ardman and <laughs> mm-hmm. um, each film is you know they're very very short I feel like they pack in a lot and um, I think most of them are actually narrated by part as the participants as well which I think is really nice um, um, and I think because they have this sort of creative partner they actually involve the people that they wanted to target in it it's mm-hmm. not it doesn't feel clinical it doesn't feel I don't know stuffy mm-hmm. it's you look at the website and you can tell that there's been time and care and compassion that's gone into it and that the stories have been thought about and you know it looks good and I think even in some of the in one of the papers that they've done I think it sort of talks about trust and things I think particularly with things like anything sensitive like mental health like Mm. if you don't put effort into that sort of process you are just going to completely miss people when they need it the most Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, I think we sort of get that sometimes when instead of maybe looking at 
it's it's that people look at mental health and maybe just create a PDF with some links on and just send that. I mean, it's not very it's not very inviting to be honest, is it? And I think if you're going through it, mm. you know, it's not it's not probably gonna you're probably not gonna scroll through it all. You're probably just gonna close it. You're probably not gonna be that interested. Mm. Um, but the themes that they picked up on basically from this study uh, were perfectionism, loneliness and isolation, mm. independence, um, sort of social media and stress around that, and competitive uh, competitiveness. Mm. And so sort of, you know, uh, these young people saying that they feel alone or stressed or they don't look good on Instagram, that mm. they're not getting the grades they wanted and feel like a failure or there's just too many decisions to make, too much going on, everything's mm. stressful. <laughs> and, you know, they started this study before COVID happened and, you know, had to adapt some of it as COVID was going on. And I think it's particularly the loneliness and isolation and mm. um, the independence as well. Uh, what about dropout rates? Was there any kind of like, is 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 there a higher dropout rate or a lower one or is it exactly the same? For the study itself? Uh, yeah, like within the study, yeah. finding that that's yeah. an issue. I mean, especially so, through COVID, it must have been. Yeah, I think even in this larger study, you know, they, it was difficult to sort of get people on board and, you know, and they were able to offer sort of some compensation to people and you can only ask so much of people in these sorts mm. of things especially when you're asking people to open up and I feel like you have to appreciate that that's a sort of when I could labor in itself and that uh it, it can be a lot and it's depending on how sensitive the subject you're exploring is you know that can sort of take a toll on people itself yeah, and, and appropriate safeguarding if, and so on, yeah. Yeah, and even if it's something that's really light, you know, people just sometimes get burnt out or yeah. they might just lose interest. Yeah. They might just not want to do it anymore, you know, it happens. Um, so I think even in that, they had to sort of look for the participants that were the most sort of willing to be involved in the later stages of design when they were sort of looking for more feedback on you know, like how things look and, you know, just if they're still on track with the ideas that they'd sort of had with the participants early on and sort of in my own study as well, um, although I'm still sort of an early phase, you know, as it's gone on. I mean, I'm recruiting from a much smaller population because I'm only recruiting from the Black undergraduate student population, so it's already a small, smaller group. Mm-hmm. Um, as it's sort of gone on, I've seen that same sort of pattern of there being the standout sort of people that I think as I'm designing and turning sort of what we've discussed and, you know, what I've got so far into uh, something, um, that they'll be the ones that will stay involved and stay invested. And I don't, I wouldn't expect. I'm not going to expect, you know, everybody that originally said they wanted to sign up is going to still be sort of committed to it by the end, Um, which I think is completely fair, to be honest, you know, and I think, yeah, especially like with the two projects I mentioned are both sort of really in the area of sort of mental health and well-being. It's something that I think, yeah, we have to be very cautious of the people Mm. that you're asking 
quite a lot, mm. even though there's a lot of fun in it because, you know, that it's, I mean, it's particularly with the other project because it's completed and you can see, sort of see all of the different creative elements and how, you know, it would be fun. You can look at the website and see how it would have been fun to be involved mm. in creating something like this. And that there is, it's a weird thing to say, but you can see that, that it would be enjoyable and that, you know, like people would really get sort of a kick out of seeing their sort of input stories and experiences transformed into something that, it, you know, it's a name them necessarily, mm. you know, people can't tell it's about them, but you know, it, they'll know that it connects yeah. to them. Mm. Um, and I think that in itself can be very, very rewarding for people, but um, it's definitely about balance and not overdoing it, I think, with mm. people. Mm. I want to take you back to sort of just before lockdown, going into lockdown, then being in lockdown and sort of like where you were mentally, but work-wise at that point of like, you know, was it all, that's nothing. I'm just going to ignore that sudden shock and like, oh, well, it doesn't make a difference to me. I'm just going to continue working on and I can, or was it like. I can't do anything now. What am I going to do? Or was it, you know, like, was it total panic stations? Like, how did it, how did it go for you? I think, like, for everyone, it was definitely sort of a, a bit of a shock and like, oh God, what am I sort of feeling? Like, what is going on? Um, I think it was, you know, I mean, for me personally, like, I had a lot going on and was sort of thinking about what I was going to do next. And it's just like, oh, I'm, is it even doing anything next? I think, do you know, like, how do I plan for this, really? It was strange. But I guess in the same time, it was sort of around the time I was working on that uh, proposal uh, for this application connected to this project that I've sort of briefly mentioned uh, with the animated films. So it did kind of allow me to spend a little bit more time on it, to be honest, mm -hmm. that I wouldn't have normally had. Mm -hmm. And then in the sort of run up to it, when I guess lockdowns and things really sort of uh, kicked in before I started my PhD in the October of 2020, mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm going to say. <laughs> God, God, I don't know where I am. <laughs> 2020, was it 2020 or 2021? It was 2020, yeah. Uh, like, I'm yeah, it was 2020. Time has totally collapsed now. Nobody knows what to do. years just feel like one year. Well, like, and I think was... we've also, we've, we've traumatised it, haven't we? We're, we're kind of like, yeah, I don't remember any of that. Did, did yeah, and that didn't happen. <laughs> it's just a weird dream. But now I think, um, sort of, because in, in the sort of run-up to that, um, I had more time, I guess, to just look into it and explore things and as well and um, it was sort of a period where I feel like and I guess what really drove me towards reassessing my ideas and proposal and the students that I wanted to target was seeing the Black Lives Matter movement really sort of take life over that year and the incident with George Floyd's death and sort of other things that have just sort of happened over that time period and that felt like there was a need in particular to focus on that group and that I could sort of prove that point and really, ex you know, I could say that there's definitely something in it. 
Mm. Um, and then I also sort of lent into the idea more in that time period that I definitely want to work with students, which mm -hmm. I think people sometimes find odd, but I think it's because for me personally, I feel like education opens up so many doors, mm. but it's, you know, I, I felt it's not fair that it feels like there's these are the things that can impact on your experience and aren't considered in that it's so difficult to sort of get that across sometimes in a mm. way that people can understand. Mm. And, and, you know, and like, I can't say that I didn't like not enjoy my masters and things, but it was a strange experience mm. for me. I was very, no, you know, noticeably the only black student and it was sort of odd. <laughs> and you try not to think about it, to be honest, but I do feel like, you know, when I was sort of doing my sort of mini project then and picking up on these little themes about like isolation and belonging and then thinking about sort of um, COVID and lockdown and all of these incidents that are sort of happening and mm. just the way things were going. And I just felt like there was a, a need there where there might be students that are particularly feeling isolated that might not be able to get the get what they need out of the academic experience to sort of be able to, I guess, move on with their lives and careers or, you know, I guess just be what they want to be really. And mm. I just felt like, yeah, it, you know, it was a difficult time, but it did sort of really help to establish what I wanted to do and who I wanted to look at and why there was a reason to. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it sort of gives it more meaning, gives it more urgency, gives it more like mm -hmm. resonance. And it's that sort of, you know, you start to see it, it's, it's the human thing of pattern spotting, isn't it? You know, you're starting to see patterns emerging in things and you're kind of like, oh, well, this is replicated here and, and here and here and here. And there are these commonalities yeah. and there are these things. And yeah. Um, so, uh Okay, where do I want to go from here? Do I want to try and delve into that more? Or, uh, I mean, what, let's do it this way. Is there, is there more that you kind of want to say on that or bring out before I move um, on to a different question? Or shall I just move along? I mean, uh, I guess I'd say, I mean, not necessarily for myself, but um, as I was sort of exploring, you know, um, as I'm and working through it, I mean, I think we all know, and it's not necessarily something that's like a hidden thing. I think it's a bit sort of obvious that people are getting isolated and feel lonely. And in particular, I was sort of seeing more statistics around students feeling more isolated, mm. how that was impacting on their mental health and how they were studying and adapting to remote. And, you know, I could understand that particularly if you're an 18 year old, and this is the first time that you've ever moved away from home but you, mm. you, you are excited you want to go out you want to do all of the things that I think you know sometimes people discount as part of an academic experience you mm. don't just work on exams and papers all the time I don't think that makes a good student you have to you know have sort of like an all-rounded experience really and you know there was just so many like reports and things sort of coming out about the way the pandemic really impacted students that I think there has been a really strong response to it 
Mm. But there's a, there's still a lot to do. Um, and I think for myself as well, I found it strange starting a research project with people that I'd never met remotely mm. from Leeds, mm. another university I've mm. actually never visited. <laughs> so, you know, it's like I could completely, I was like, I feel sort of like strange and like this is such a confusing and weird time i can't imagine what that's like for somebody who's never even had any sort of academic experience before or or any sort of Mm. you know they're just starting that sort of journey of like i guess independence into adulthood Mm. as well let's start with social media um so i ask about social media in so it's social media but it's becoming more work media or media work um so like how much of your time is taken up by having to do and like do you have to do social media to kind of promote your research and you know to kind of as part of the research to get subjects and so on and to get data coming in like how much time does it take up um and is that time well spent you know do you get a good sort of return on investment of that time yeah, I have to, well, I mean, like many people, I had to think about how I'm going to do this whole study online because nobody knew what was going to happen at the start. You know, I didn't know how long this was going to be or what, you know, what the world would be like, really. And so uh, adapting all of the tools and methods and things to online and recruitment and not, I think, at first, potentially, I would have maybe used more in-person sort of workshops, even posters and word of mouth just from being out and about, I guess. Uh, but I really have to quickly sort of rebuild my social media profile because I hadn't really put that much effort into it. Because um, to be honest, I think I'd sort of, I don't know, just over the years got a bit disillusioned with it all. Mm. So I hadn't really been using it that much myself. So it was quite a bit of work to sort of um, think I've got to, as quickly as possible, really find ways to connect to people, mm. both academics in my sort of areas, and especially because I said interdisciplinary that there's so many different types of people to find, but looking at people that work in sort of um, any sort of really like anti-racism, advocacy, education, mm and people that are looking at working design and co-design types of projects and student groups and organizations and it was a lot of work in itself just to find the right people to be honest and to find enough people to have the context the contents to be able to reach the people that are willing to recruit for my study and I think ongoing just to have that network of um, other people just sort of connected to my research. Mm-hmm. And I, it, it, it was difficult because obviously we were all doing it. Everybody's trying to very quickly stand out again online if it maybe it lapsed because there wasn't a better way to do it really. So yeah. like it wasn't, you know, there wasn't a choice. You have to think that you have to do it, but. I guess, you know, in my career, I've always sort of worked in marketing, I've worked in social media and things, and 
I wasn't feeling a little bit rusty, but I was able to sort of use some of the things I've learned along the way. And, um, and obviously I could create graphics and things like that and uh, to sort of help. And to be honest, I didn't expect it really, but I found that Twitter was the most receptive place for me. And that's where I connected with the most people and it was just, I don't know if it was because of COVID and because everyone was at, at home, but, um, some of the people that I was able to reach out to, to be honest, I was surprised to hear back from them at all. Um, and, uh, I don't know if it was just because of the time and what was going on, that it was just, uh, people were a little bit more open and a bit more likely to sort of look at messages and things. So that I guess worked in my favor in a way. Um, but it's difficult to keep up the momentum when you're trying to do all the other normal things that you need to do because that becomes sort of like a job in itself mm. just being a you know a, you could just be a sort of um you could focus on being a personality or mm. a profile in the research area which you know i think it's something that's like a good thing and like i'd like to be able to share more but it is like it's a it's a big time commitment as well now that we have brexited do you notice any change in your work? Like, has it changed what, what you're doing and, and or how you're doing it? And has that been, you know, sort of good, bad, negative, no difference? I think with Brexit, unfortunately, it's not really anything positive I can think about. You know, I'm trying to root around in my brain for something that I can say that something really like a clear benefit, mm -hmm. but I mean, for me personally, I don't see any, and I, I think in education and for students, it has closed some doors and opportunities to things like certain types of funding and relationships that existed before Brexit and certain things that are just going to be more difficult to arrange and organize, you know, there's, there's still things going on and there's still uh, schemes that are happening, but there's so many more hoops for certain things. And mm. there's uh, a lot of uh, stress around things like visas and passports for international students as well. And I think it's just sort of been, it's been sort of very disruptive mm. really to that exchange of knowledge, I think really between like the U UK and European un universities and I think that's a real shame um, and I think it's discouraging to students to want to come to join universities and I also think that's a shame because I think that's like, I think it's a great thing because it's a diversity thing. It's not necessarily always something, you know, it doesn't have to be sort of these big things like race and ethnicity. It's just good to have the different experiences and cultures in this sort of environment and what you're trying to sort of explore and produce knowledge. Um, so I think that's really disappointing. Um, but I think where students will feel it the most will be around funding for opportunities and for researchers will be funding for research. Um, and then sort of as a designer, separately to that, um, I did notice at the start and the sort of period where things were starting to fall into place that the jobs available freelance that sort of smaller jobs that I would do um, just disappeared from Europe mm. like they just 
completely did. They just don't, they just didn't exist. Like they were just gone. And honestly, I think people just didn't want to sort of have to jump through all of the hoops to bring you back in on board. It yeah, yeah. like so. Um, it closed down opportunities there where there would have normally been more sort of things that you would have been able to get involved with. Um, so yeah, it, I think it was, you know, like personally as well, like <laughs> not helpful, I don't mm. think. Mm. Um, but yeah, I do think now for me, my main concern with Brexit is I guess all of those things aside is just sort of the feeling that it's left behind mm. um, and the impact that it's had on, I think, community relationships and the way people maybe uh, look at people that are, well, at least in their eyes, not perceived to be born here or look too different or something like that. And just how fractured i feel like it's been this sort of discussion has become around things like immigration and and how sort of i feel like brexit has brought out almost a, a, an insensitivity mm -hmm. and in a way emboldened people to say things that they've always wanted to say mm -hmm. about people they don't like very much mm -hmm. and um, and i think for me that's like been the biggest thing that I've noticed and found, you know, like the most concerning, and um, I mean, there's so many other impacts that it has, but mm. that's sort of where I've seen mm. a huge issue that I think is going to take a really long time to unravel. And um, it's not going to be, it's not, it's not going to be quick at all. It's going to be difficult. Do you think kind of post judge Floyd that, uh, you know, like, this huge sort of corporations kind of coming out and, you know, corp corporate solidarity for want of a better term mm. say, um, like an increase in representation in advertising and so on. And like, you know, we're, we're going to really focus on diversity. Has that, is that like a counter power to the rise of the right for one, for one of a, you know, like I, I should explain this in better terms, <laughs> but you, you get my gist of like, do you think, do you think that kind of like upticking of hate speech and associated kind of rhetoric from Brett Brexit, do you think there's been a to wave or do you think that that's, you know, it's nowhere near even the same kind of, you know what I'm getting at here, don't you? Yeah. I mean, I think. So for me and my research, um, as I sort of started looking into this area and, um, and exploring just sort of uh, students of racialized backgrounds and black student experiences and just what existed academically, mm. um, there is just sort of like a shocking lack of studies and research really that focus on sort of these minority groups, I think, in a meaningful way. So I did have to go from the US, to be honest, like, mm -hmm. and I feel so, I, you know, have to become very immersed in that sort of world because we just did not have the resources, infrastructure, mm. or, you know, not that America's perfect by any means, but for example, you know, Bigger they, and there's more data and there's- Yeah, like, they have these existing things, like they have, um, uh, 
these sort of historically black universities and things that they literally do not exist here. <laughs> you know, it's just not a thing. We've only just started having, I think, our first black studies courses and things in the last literally couple of years. Like that it, is not existed. Like we've not had the space for it. So um a lot of it has, you know, there is a lot of good work and especially now there's a lot more though, but um I had to sort of use that uh the US and sort of what was going there as a window. And I do think it is it's relevant, but I guess what I worried about is sometimes with companies and I think universities here even jumping on board and people sort of changing their pictures and putting hashtags on and things like that is that they were sort of disconnecting from the fact that we have very similar issues in the UK mm-hmm. um, and that, you know, it might not be this the same incident, mm. um, but we do have our own sort of equivalents of, of, you know, like inequalities and I think particularly with the black community in the UK. So it, it did sort of feel like in a way people, certain people that maybe weren't really looking into what was going on that much, you know, they felt compassionate, but just sort of, it was a bit more of a passing thought really. We're just seeing it as an American problem. Like this mm. doesn't happen here. Like mm. it's fine. Like we don't need a Black Lives Movement in the UK. Yeah, but like, we we didn't cool. have an empire. We weren't involved in slavery. We just <laughs> had William Wilberforce, and we've been good forever. <laughs> and like we kind of didn't start this. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> nothing to do with us, you know. No, 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 no. no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I mean, I think I think the call sort of here was people really sort of wanting to highlight that fact that mm. you know we can't just look at the US and go look at them; they're terrible. Mm. Like we'd never do that. Like when people are asking for things here and trying to sort of you know like stand out and and mm. uh, look for resources and build these like support networks and like tackle things like these equalities and. Um, and I think for many, it just really reignited, I don't know, any sort of thing that was maybe in the back of your mind or something that you were just sort of thinking about, like this, this sucks, you know, this isn't right, this isn't fair. I think it made people sort of more actively want to be involved and use the momentum of what was going on in the US to draw attention to what was happening here and I do think you know that has been useful Mm. and because I do think even things like the research I'm doing wouldn't have got picked up without Black Lives Matter happening in the US you know Mm. and I just I don't I don't think it would have been of interest (laughs) you know it would have been that uh don't think I'd have been able to sort of bring people on board by stressing the urgency as clearly Mm. So I wanted to also get you to talk a little bit about, so from the research that you're doing, are the majority of your kind of research respondents, are they 
like how are you categorizing black are you sort of like black and then black british or is like black african uh, is it just mm -hmm. sort of diaspora like how is it breaking down and then are you noticing anything any changes i suppose you haven't got the earlier data so again it's difficult yeah. to kind of do comparisons but what yeah how, how's that breaking down and it, yeah, I guess it's early days, so and a small sample yet. So um, I'm not. Uh, I don't feel like I've been able to quite explore that part enough. And mm -hmm. uh, but when I started doing the study and looking, it was something that I had to sort of think about. It was how I was going to ask about identity and sort of refer to things and talk about things because I think it is something that we have to think about um, and I think in my proposal originally um, which gosh I guess it, it was like written like nearly two three years ago <laughs> seems aged uh, forever ago yeah like I think at the time because you know, like I was trying to obviously get onto a PhD program and I felt I had to use things that were like, I don't know, more academic and mm. the right words and terms. At the time I originally used things like BAME and BME because it was what was on the government's websites and in research guides and things because I was like, well, that's what they use. So maybe that's how I go about it. And mm. That's how I start my focus. That's what statistics are easiest to sort of highlight. And I just sort of say that I want to work with uh, BAME students. Um, but I think that in itself, just even as I was saying it and the more times I said it, made me feel uncomfortable mm -hmm. because I was just like, it just doesn't sound right. There's mm -hmm. just so many, just there's just far too much like variety mm -hmm. in just too it covers too many things and I think you know it sounds silly to be honest and, and I do think it can be a little bit of a lazy way to be honest referring <laughs> to people rather than naming them um so like I use the word black just to refer to black students in in general it's because mm -hmm. you know I've got to call them something and mm -hmm. um, but I've for me personally it includes sort of all of those things you know be that somebody who's say of i don't know more caribbean heritage african mm. somebody that was born here maybe moved here and mm. um, people of mixed heritage as well like that for me is all covered within that phrase and mm. um, but at the same time it's like an important sort of discussion that i'll have to have that I have to have and in, in my and a PhD and thesis because mm. there are so even within the word black and mm. that sort of you know that's an insane sort of amount of different backgrounds and experiences and cultures and mm. it's not sort of a homogenous group of people that are all the same so I'd also have to be mindful that I'm not sort of just being like, we're all the same. This is all. all yeah, we've just, just grouped same. everyone into a big blob. Yeah, because they're just not, they're not more so. No, <laughs> <laughs> and I think as well, um, like even 
you know, we are definitely, there's definitely, you know, it's very early stages, but everybody is connecting to the same things. Mm -hmm. But I do think there are some sort of differences when it comes to being a British blood student, Mm -hmm. so a black British student, particularly from um, Afro-Caribbean backgrounds, um, tend to have sort of, um, you know, I mean, I guess I've thrown off the statistics but I'm doing my cards, but I tend to have sort of the lowest academic outcomes, prospects, particularly when mental health is involved, you know, they have sort of the lowest attainment and, the, and all these sort of academic buzzwords related to student retention and things like that. Are you looking it's at scary very... income factors as well? Is that sort of included? Yeah, and that's sort of this part and parcel of that really and just sort of looking at things where often the students are from the Afro-Caribbean backgrounds intersect with being from a more working class background mm. or sort of, I don't know, I, don't know. I wouldn't say if middle class doesn't feel like the right word, but in between that sort of area. And so that also sort of affects. And then not all the time, but think people sometimes also discount students that are from wealthier backgrounds mm. international black students mm-hmm. not all of them but there are there are some you know like there are like quite a few of them really and mm. you know that have had um sort of like you know that they're, they're just sort of continuing their education mm-hmm. experience really and i think people sometimes also assume that black students are just all, all sort of just broken got no you know yeah, just not any sort of resources and there's not really any variety within the group <laughs> and i think you know like i think you know when you start to think about it you're like oh, of course that doesn't make sense of course we're going to be different i mean i'm going to be different even within people you know like in the city depending on where you grew up like on which pips coach you from sort of thing of the schools that you went to and who you interacted with and what it was like for you so mm. you know it's it's something that i think is important to pay attention to and mm. you know in my study I've, I've offered sort of that students you know i've said you know obviously i'm saying black but how would you identify yourself just to say what they say back and generally it's the same thing and a couple have sort of then further clarified the students and um that are from African backgrounds, you know, actually where they're from and what their actual ethnicity is. Because mm. I think, you know, sort of people, uh, there's, there is a bit of an erasure of the sort of uh, differences within the continent. Mm. I think people forget it's a continent mm. for a start. It's not like sort of just like a tiny little country mm. that's, you know, like a but tiny island. It's not even a tiny so. continent, is it? Is, is it? absolutely massive <laughs> like yeah like it's it's ginormous <laughs> yeah i mean you boys say that you can fit like america and india across yeah no, 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 it's like, and a whole bunch of other countries as well to think that all the students that come from there would have the same experience to yeah. me it's absolutely insane like, yeah it and it's no the most sense. genetically diverse continent as well yeah exactly so like People are proud of that. So students will want to say, like, actually, no, I'm not just a, I don't know, a West African student. I'm a, you know, wherever student. Like, they want to be more specific about it. And I think 
as long as people have the opportunity to give that, you know, not all the time, some people aren't bothered by it. And I think that's perfectly fine too. I think, you know, it's personal, but I think what's important about it is not seeing is sort of not allowing people to, if they want to tell you where they're sort of from in their own words and mm. how they identify that you sort of, yeah, sort of honestly erasing their whole culture no. uh, by, you know, sort of dismissing that idea. Mm. Like when people are filling in their diversity forms, if you, you know, you're doing white, you've got what, like white British or white, you know, depending on how they kind of break it down. And then they'll be like, Eastern European and, or like maybe white British and then white other, because as well, you can't fit all, you can't fit the entire diversity of people onto a form. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, also, you know, it's like, that. but there's an agenda there. There's always an agenda <laughs> there with how they've picked it, yeah, whether they're yeah. conscious of it or not. And that tells you something. And that's, mm -hmm. you know, that's the whole point of study, isn't it? So. <laughs> yeah and I think that's sort of that thing when you think about like I guess bringing design into it and like the like information design sort of comes into that field and looking at you know user experiences and sort of all of these designery buzzwords and things if you're creating these sorts of things but not really thinking about the person at the end to be honest mm. you're not you, I mean it's just you're never really gonna be able to suit everybody but you're also not going to be able to sort of uh, be compassionate I think in what you're asking really and just not be uh so I think bureaucratic about it I, I mean I understand that especially when we're collecting data you know you need we need to be clear but um I think with where you get something that's maybe uh because people see these sorts of categories, then they get taken into, say, I don't know, an onboarding for a new job and they use the same categories or you're signing up for something that asks for diversity questions and they just put sort of like, I don't know, white, uh, black, Afro-Caribbean, black, other, mm. Asian. That's probably it. <laughs> yeah. Like sort of thing. And other I think that's quite can be like you know like mm. people might not think about it actively as they're doing it in the moment but no one really wants to be an other or you know I feel like and like things like saying just Asian like what does mm. that mean mm. <laughs> and, like, that to me blows my mind as well because I'm like <laughs> that it, it just makes absolutely no sense does it it's it's ridiculous really to to it puts are like an, an overwhelming amount of different people into one thing and be like, well, you're all just that. And yeah. I think, yeah, like it's because people aren't thinking about it when they're at the start, when they're making these things. And they also aren't asking the people that they're making them for and who they're asking because they don't think it's important. I do think it's incredibly valuable. Yeah. Well, it's like that thing, you know, like when I was growing up, whenever you did any sort of history or geography or anything, I was always like, why i've seen maps of the world you know like i've seen mercador projections i like i or whatever it's his name is <laughs> like I, I, I know there's a globe why am i only seeing this bloody roman empire diagram mm. or the side there's nothing else happened anywhere else like what, what what's happened out there 
like why do mm-hmm. I just say this not only you know that the, the why of that as well of like but why do I only say this but even the Roman Empire went over there why do we why, why is Byzantium gone like <laughs> <laughs> like there's an agenda here yeah like yeah you do sort of feel that it's that sort of whole structural issue really and sort of looking at even when someone's doing a sim- something as I guess simple as creating a form and thinking about the structure and the environment that you're in and how all of these things just sort of become part of like a daily life and it just sort of doesn't become a huge consideration and it becomes sort of so normal mm. um, and I guess what's happened in the last couple of years is people have sort of used these sort of movements and what's gone on as an opportunity to be like this isn't normal and mm. there's all of this variety and culture and different things that sort of make up all the communities that we're in mm-hmm. um, and it isn't right and it's not appropriate to talk about them in this way i think particularly when people started initially talking about black lives movements and still using things like bane mm-hmm. or being me when they were talking about it and i'm not saying that they were you know doing it i mean i've used it mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. plenty of times like i don't think people were doing it and uh, maliciously um the the problem only comes in is when people are reluctant to listen to people that are asking them to try something different Mm. so that's for me you know it's like you know fair enough it gets used as organizations but that has been their name for years and i don't Mm. think necessarily they should all be like oh my god we've got to change it they're doing good work in the Mm. community and people are fine like that's fine but i think for big important things in like media and government reports and other sort of you know you know like really important important things that we should pay a little bit more attention to how we're talking about people like i think that's not too bigger than us but for some people it is if there was a universal basic income uh, and you can talk about you know sort of the wider effects as well if you want rather than just keeping it personal but like uh if if you had a universal basic income how do you think that would change your work um would you still be doing what you're doing um and if so would you do it differently would it allow you to change things around it so yeah over to you i mean i mean i am notoriously terrible anything to do with anything slightly related to numbers <laughs> but you know i think so generally speaking really when i think about sort of what i'm doing although i say i'm funded it doesn't mean that i've got a big pool of yeah. money to even i can't compensate my participants or you know to pay for conferences and events and things like that like there were a lot of restrictions to my experiences that are related to finances you know that I just can't do things like that because um the sort of what's available is just not it's just not enough to live off really at all yeah, like okay. I don't know and I think that in itself I mean that's a whole other thing with like I know it's feel like pricing certain types of people out of education to be honest if you can't afford to support yourself or find another job or mm. something and it's sort of um i guess i don't know the ins and outs of the research around it to sort of confidently say things 
but I do. You know, it's not accidental. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I definitely feel like there's there's sort of something in it that people, and if we were all sort of able to equally or more equally access just basic funds, how much it would have a huge impact on people's lives. I think that's a sort of idea that if people get given any sort of money that we're all just going to squander it and we don't know how to look after ourselves and that if you give people from working class backgrounds, they're all just going to go, I don't know. I think I feel like the idea is they're all just going to go and get drunk and waste it and they don't know how to do it. They don't know how to look after the money. They don't want any, anything from their lives. And yeah. They're all going to spend their time just partying and ignoring the rules. Yeah. Like, and like you know, like stu- if you give it to students, students are just going to get drunk all the time and binge drink. And, mm. I mean, I think I was um, on a panel recently at, and then hey, there's still in Wales and one of the panelists was speaking to sort of, you know, don't want to misquote now, but I think it's about a third of students don't drink at all. Mm. <laughs> mm. It's just that thing of the the idea that we have of people and what mm. we think, like, oh, whether we you know, like we'll give people money and they're not gonna they're suddenly gonna devolve, like society's suddenly gonna devolve and we're not gonna be able to function. Mm. But think particularly just I mean with our current government and the way things are and this sort of the way opportunity and access really is financially driven like Mm. and connection driven like who who yeah yeah without sort of having that same level playing field you know and like of having the funds to do things it just it does just simply stop you like it mm. prices you out of doing things and mm. you just can't and i'm i'm curious to sort of see sort of people that are campaigning and working in that sort of area really and um, what sort of comes out of it over the next few years really because i'm i'm sure i've seen something where there has been success um, with giving people a basic income, particularly people that, um, I think it was the homeless population and how it just enabled them to just have a life. <laughs> and I also think as well, um, Lenny, just the idea that even if people are given a basic income, if somebody wants to buy a bottle of wine, mm. a nice dress, like that's mm. for them. I don't think that's a bad, I feel like it's even, you know, the same with all sorts of these things. If you get in any sort of income that's credit or like universal credit or disability or something like that, like I feel like it's dehumanizing to be like, well, because we're giving you money now, you can't have any life experience. You have to just be what we want you to be you're not allowed to have fun you can't be seen to enjoy anything because you should be so grateful for this yeah for this sort of precious tea that we've given you yeah. <laughs> yeah. no, my, my beneficence my, yeah sort of you know rather than actually seeing them as people that could you know not everybody's gonna of course some people are gonna just waste it and not I mean, everybody does it. Like, I don't feel like that's, I mean, that's just what happens. That's just, 
that's fine. I feel like, you know, there's always going to be some bad. I think to say that every single person all of a sudden would just not be able to manage it does seem ridiculous to me. Like, I do feel like there's there's something there that, mm. you know, it's worthwhile sort of. But I think it's an outright, exploring. it's an outright lie, isn't it, really? It's just like, I mean, because if you think back to the lockdown of like people being furloughed, I mean, what was the thing that everyone was banging on about? It was like, everyone's doing DIY and get fit. And like <laughs> people were active, people did things. And, you know, it wasn't like everyone went out and just murdered everybody. It was like, you know, oh, I'll take a food parcel around or I'll go knock on the door when I'm on a walk and, and so on. Like people came together. Uh, but that doesn't make an exciting story, yeah. does it? No, I mean, well, that's the thing. I think with anything like this, it's uh, because it's an easy topic to sort of spin on social media and things. It's mm. an easy topic to be polarised on. It's mm. not that it gets missed what might actually be useful or what might need to be changed or developed if there is something in it that's like maybe we need to work on it a bit more first. And I do think that's a shame because... Yeah, I just think at this point, especially, you know, I'm sick of hearing about the cost of living crisis, you know, I'm living in it, I know. It's like, what are we going to do with all this thing? Like, like, we are, like that is the reality now, and it's not like it's new to us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't mention 10 years of cuts. Yeah, you know. Oh, not, right, like, yeah, it's... it's Sorry. <laughs> it's like, yeah, exactly. It's not like we didn't see this coming and people haven't been raising red flags. So I think if if we're not sort of looking at radical new ideas, then we're just going to keep doing the same thing. And it's, I think you just get the same results, don't you? So it's, does it make sense to me to not even try? <laughs> I use climate change as kind of, because it's, it's the main big one of all the various ecological crisis that we're running into faster and faster can you are you um like how does it play into your work like can you do any adaptation mitigation is it part of your research is it part of your research brief um i think you mentioned you got some arts council funding did you say because i know that that has some climate kind of yeah uh clauses so yeah so yeah, so I guess my project's a little bit weird because um, I'm not directly, I mean, in a way, mm. funded through them. And, mm. But uh, it's so my supervisor, um, I don't know if I actually mentioned his name, it's Professor Paul Crawford. His sort of bigger investigation is funded by the Arts and Humanities Research Council. And then sort of there's a, a contribution um, to that and there's an institutional contribution is where my project was sort of uh, picked up um, but I think so I'm on the uh, student minds uh, student advisory uh, committee for this year um, so student minds are based in uh, Leeds as well actually uh, but they are the UK's um, pretty much only student mental health charity. I don't think there really is anything that looks at things in the way that they do or has the impact that they do that's, you know, like like visible sort of impact on things like policy and that sort of thing. And um, But sort of uh, one of the areas that we have sort of, I think the place that I've discussed things like climate the most has been with sort of the other students in that groups. And I think 
uh, particularly with the younger students that are on um, undergraduate courses, like that is something that's very clearly like at the very front of their minds. Mm. And I think that's completely fair. I mean, and I'm thinking about their futures more, I think, mm. particularly, I think going through COVID and all of this chaos and it's just like trying to find the good really and like, what are we going to do? Like, what am I going to sort of do afterwards? Like, what's going to be there for me? What's the world going to look like? And mm. um, I think, you know, even just basic things of like access to resources and how I think we can very clearly see all of these sort of damaging impacts. But I think for quite a lot of students, it feels like nobody really cares that much and that everyone kind of, um, I think what I've sort of picking up from the other students really is a feeling that people are kind of making fun of them and don't think it's a serious issue, but it's sort of like, I mean, it's their lives. Like it's not fair to minimize something that much that's affecting people and that I know sort of from this and talking to them that mm. there's a lot of anxiety around climate change for young people mm. um not just students just young people in general like it is something that like people are going to the GP about because they're not anxious because I think to some people that can seem silly but I mean it is everything that we do like in the whole world though and I think particularly if you're quite young and everything that's happened and you're isolated and the world's feeling crazy that that probably feels even bigger and heavier and not knowing really how to process that and how to understand I don't know how you're feeling about it and I guess what to even do um think that's, I do think that's why you've seen so many young people really embrace advocacy and campaigning and student protests in all from school years, even like why they've got so sort of passionate about it. Because I think that's sort of what is like a self care and then protective uh, activity of mm. trying to find people that are also seeing like this is a real issue in the same way, you know, sort of like Black Lives Matters and anti-racist movements it's that similar thing of like you know there's definitely a movement because people are gathering and forming these communities and shouting about it and really trying their best to you know like make it a visible uh issue and and then yeah i just think from my perspective and in like my study it's something that i think about um from a point of being like yeah, like how does that then make you feel if you're going into uni? And um, I think, yeah, again, in the same way uh, with Black Lives Matter, and if you're seeing a lot of injustices against other uh, Black individuals, you're also feeling that, you know, the climate is gone to shit for one of them, and that there's not. You know, it's a, a worry. It all adds to that feeling of sort of hopelessness and isolation. And mm. it's not very motivating. It's not really going to make you want to do stuff. You know, it's sort of like, a, well, why try? You know, like, <laughs> and then nobody's listening. So you just sort of like 
I didn't, I wouldn't want people to sort of give up before they've already, like not even had a chance to really get started and mm. not be as jaded as I am. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, this. It, it does, it worries me to like, I think to hear people like, to hear like 18 year olds talking so morbidly, to be honest, um, in some of these things has been jarring and, and how, cause really it's, it's sort of about them and their lives and they're thinking about their own mortality. And I think that's, you know, it's concerning and I think people should sort of step away from maybe making fun and seeing it as like a silly issue and just think regardless of what you think about climate change, whether you think it's true or not, if people feel like that, there's a problem and something to explore with how much that's impacting, you know, somebody's mental health. But the the thing is, you're not going to do that in, in a fully, fully complicit media environment that is only interested in, you know, that is only interested in delay or discrediting, you know, because we've all watched the past 30 years, you know, we've all known it's it's going on and stuff. I think all of those reactions are entirely appropriate. I mean, it's that kind of, well, if you know anything about it, it's kind of like, well, what the hell are we doing? You know, <laughs> why, why aren't we doing, why aren't we doing anything apart from creating press releases and doing token gestures? What yeah. the hell are we doing? I mean, yeah, I feel like it's almost like a, um... So for some people, um, I guess that can connect it to sort of uh, why I'm, I guess, using my experiences and academic interests to explore the area that I want to advocate for, mm. because it's the same thing of being like, actually, we do know what the problem is. Yeah. We, we, and we've, we've always known. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's not a mystery, really. It's yeah. more that we're having to find new ways of getting this information to people. So, you know, like anything I create from this study with students in this sort of phase, I will be sort of then in the next phase, putting that in front of people that actually sort of work in the area mm-hmm. and to sort of see, you know, like what, well, what are we going to do then? Like they said, <laughs> or like, you know, just representing it differently, maybe to, I'm like, you know, not necessarily making that say a report or something like that because it's things like you know with protests and all sorts it's finding these impactful ways to reach people that are just not listening at all and Mm. sort of have their head in this in the sand or either are completely biased or genuinely so unaware that i feel like you have to find ways to sort of almost shock the system Mm. with something that's not you know, like we can't just send, I can't send the same thing in the same way because it's clearly not getting through. <laughs> mm. I think in the same way that young people will start doing these protests and even some of the more dramatic climate protests and things like that, that, you know, oh, what they going to if you agree or no, that's no, like, that's like what's going people are, yeah, people are, at a certain point, people get fed up and have to find a new way to get people to listen. And I think that's, it, it is a lot of that. It's people just are like exasperated by it all in. Don't want to throw the towel in quite yet. So that, you know, you've got to think, well, how else can I make a big impact or do something that feels like somebody is paying attention? Mm. Um, 
the lives. It is just, it can't be a non-issue, you know, it affects mm. people's lives that much and it, and it does, you know, like it's going to sort of result in mm. people dying. Mm. Like it's not, it's, it's definitely not like a minor issue. It, yeah. Well, was, yeah. Yeah. It yeah. is killing people already, isn't it? I mean, like, you know, temperatures in India and Pakistan at the moment and various places all over the world, like the Middle East is coming up to 50 degrees at the moment. Like, uh, recent floods in South Africa, there's been another landslide in Brazil. There's like, you know, it's all constantly and it just grows and grows and grows. And then, you know, the news is like, oh, party gate, oh, the queen, oh, it's, it's like, Put the news, tell the truth. <laughs> yeah, I think it is. It's just sort of like, it's it's dismissive of how people, I mean, it's dismissive of facts on one hand, mm. but on the other hand, it's also dismissive of like experiences and what's happening in people's like own realities and what they're seeing and sort of gaslighting people. Mm. But everything's fine. It's business as usual, carry on, mm. you know, the same way. The same with um, the Black Lives Matter movement mm. is that sort of, let's just talk about something else. Stop going on about it. Why are you bringing this up again? Mm. Like, we've already solved this. We put out a press release. We did a report that said that it's not happened. Yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> so everything, we didn't ask anybody, but we've said so. Well, like, so everything's yeah. fine. Yeah. Shut up, basically. And, yeah. you know, it's like, that is, it's, it is only gonna sort of further ignite people to do different and new things because they're just gonna be, well, you didn't listen to that way, so I'm gonna have to do something else now. Well, and people are just gonna get more and more pissed off, and then more and more mm. people are gonna get more and more pissed off. And it's like, well, if that's not controlled and organized, that's really dangerous as well. Like, you know, it, it's the sort of, I mean, you could take it back to January 6th sort of stuff of like, well, to a degree, it is about a peaceful kind of transition of, of power um, because we don't really want to exacerbate things even more than they're being exacerbated yeah. at the moment. And it's, yeah, exactly. Um, I think... All of these things have so many polarizing points. And, um, and yeah, do you think the media does have a lot of responsibility on um, creating some of these division, divisions? And I think as well, sometimes people can be dismissive of how impactful social media and is on our lives. And I think it seemed it's it's kind of sort of wild for me to think that people still don't think it is, especially throughout lockdown and COVID when we've been communicating all back into the two odd years, like that people would still not think that what they see and interactive doesn't have any sort of impact or that you're not sort of getting any influence from being in that and being on it even more sort of now. Um, but yeah, it's, I think a lot of the, real problems get lost in the arguing to be honest and mm. headlines and just be mean to each other <laughs> that's what they want you to do they want you to waste time discussing it forever waste time and energy discussing it when it's like look 
we know what the problem is. We know what the solutions are. Let's get on with putting the solutions in and dealing with the problems. It's like, oh, no, no, no. A, there isn't a problem. And B, if there is a problem, it's you and you're making the problem up. And it's just, uh, it, it's just time wasting. But I would like what you mentioned there. So I've mentioned this a couple of times on recordings, but like when they, with sort of media studies stuff, they said when you're doing media research, you never ask the person how they think the media affects them because nobody thinks the media affects them. They think it affects other people, but not them because we're all, you know, really critical and like, you know, we can't be socially engineered. And it's like, well, let's just look at this honestly. How many times have you been had by the papers? Like how many times have you bought into a thing that you've then gone, no, oh, I shouldn't have voted for that or I shouldn't have done this or that was a lie. It's like, yeah, they, um, yeah, we are controlled by it. They, they spend money on it for a reason. Um, yeah, I'm conscious of time as well. So I'm going to kind of try and wrap things up. Are yeah. you all right for time? And yeah. 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 That's fine. Yeah. Uh, so we've done Brexit. We've done UBI. We've done social media. Um, have a, I don't think I've done the change question yet. Um, there's something else in there and we've done UBI as well. So yeah. So I think it's just the change question. Um, so if there were any three things that you could change about your work, uh, what would they be? Um, I think for me, it's, I guess it's difficult because in a way, although there's been things that have been, you know, hard to sort of all sorts of spanners in the works and the sort of curse of the PhD <laughs> seems to be one of those things. Everybody always seems to have some sort of major life event within a PhD. Um, and, you know, and then like, just like all the, what's going on in the, the world in, in general, but it's sort of just been a, a hectic time. I do feel like part of where things haven't exactly gone to plan new ideas have sort of formed from that so it's not always been a bad thing um i mean if i was being wishful and idealistic it would be easy for me if people just you know were able to knowledge that as part of you know any sort of issue that we're talking about especially like in an experience that if you are black, that that is going to be a part of that experience. And I think that fundamentally is a lot of the root of the issue is just sort of the, the lack of acknowledgement, whether that's intentional or not. And um, I think that would make people just like second But, you know, I feel like that's a slow change that will take a long time. Mm. Um, and then I think, Academically, um, I guess over time, I'd like, I do think COVID has, and the pandemic have made people embrace things like co-design and participation as ways of like running projects and researching mm. because it's different, it's new to them at least. Um, it sort of lends itself to exploring experiences or something that's more difficult. And mm -hmm. um, so I would like to see people, you know, really sort of like meaningfully working with people to solve issues rather than directing things at them and, and just sort of seeing that 
world that like developers something that people take seriously as like a and as a as a method of researching. Mm. Are you looking at sort of um are you kind of covering all aspects of kind of black student life? Like are you looking at um you know, like how much they engage with, say, the student union or how much they are engaging with the school or... Yeah, um, I guess briefly, so I don't know if I, don't know if I actually did say to the other Um Yeah, so like in the first part of my study where I've created this uh, toolkit that's the horribly named cultural probe, design probe thing, um, that I've called a creative journal, and... Um, after doing a very extensive amount of reading and literature searching and a literature review and sort of getting really immersed in it, mm. I pulled out themes that I thought were important and was able to use that to sort of create these sort of prompts and things and trying to keep it as open as possible just generally to black students' experiences and just how, you know, like what what's it, what's it like, <laughs> you know, mm. what's going on and not trying to be too specific specific but you know some of the questions they are naturally le- leaning towards uh trying to draw out um what is the most sort of pressing thing for them and what mm. can we actually do sort of now or mm. and who do we need to tell about it to um and you know so like and even just uh sort of looking as well um one of the other things i want to pull out is just the sort of around resilience and how you know these students have had a really tough time but they're still doing it somehow and I think sometimes we're not always like mentally caught like uh, conscious that we're actually still doing it because it's difficult when you're going mm-hmm. through it so you know some things like I mean one activity is like um like a digital memory box type thing where they can like add photos in of, mm-hmm. you know like you know like say do they finish university mm-hmm. What would they want to sort of look back on? And I think that sort of speaks to that thing of, you know, like pulling out some of these positive experiences and being like, and reflecting on that side. And as well, there's sort of um, other things where I've asked them to sort of reflect and look back at things in the past or maybe, you know, like send messages back in the past type thing. And mm. um, or put glasses on, so to speak, mm. to uh, explain things in different ways and that sort of thing. So. Mm. There's a, a lot that I can pull out about their experiences in general, but mm. essentially it is all boiling down to sort of a few themes and points that mm. I'm hoping I'll be able to really sort of uh, share soon and really sort of, uh, yeah, well, they're sort of sugar points, to be honest, but mm. I'd say the main things that I picked upon that uh, at, at this point are that students you know, they see that people are trying, they see that there's things that are starting to change, but they still just feel like, and it's that thing of people not fully listening sometimes Mm. and not fully hearing what they're saying and assuming Mm. that they've solved problems Mm. and, and feeling sort of dismissed by that as an experience. And then on the other hand, that there's so many students that, you know, that, do feel like you know, I am sick of it and they they just want to simply hear from the universe like they actually want to hear real ideas and plans they want to know who's working on this mm. but people aren't telling them so yeah yeah 
that's sort of where I'm going to go next with uh, transforming all of that into a digital sort of mm. content piece that I can use, um, which will be exciting. Mm. <laughs> mm. And that's my sort of next few months' work now, really. Uh, and I think as well, the other thing that students picked up on, and I did a workshop as well, um, is the thing that really bugs me the most about a lot of these resources that are created is that design thing and uh, the lack of care and how things look and feel and how that can affect how they feel about themselves and like not feeling worthy because people can't even be bothered to tidy up a PDF or check the links that are not broken on an event or something like that mm -hmm. that's supposedly for like students so mm. Yeah, there's a lot that there's a lot that I've been able to pull from it, which is sort of why I, I wanted to do it in this way. Mm. That's awesome. Um I think I have is there anything that I mentioned at the beginning that I've I've not asked you yet? I think we've done all the questions, haven't we? Did, we did the change question, didn't we? Did we do the change question? Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I, think I just answered that sort of <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, sorry, uh, like, so for, for the listener as well, I've just done two back to back. So I'm a bit like, I'm a bit fried. Um, so, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, at this point, it's kind of over to you then. So um, is there anything that we've not covered so far that you'd like to kind of uh, talk about or raise at this point? Or if there's anything that you want to kind of flag of like, if there's any social events or if you like, do you need any more kind of uh, research respondents? Is there any kind of like, if someone wants to kind of partake or be involved, any of that kind of stuff, if there's anything that you want to talk about, this is, it's your time. Um, yeah, I guess. I mean, um, you know, I mean, essentially I am still fundamentally a designer and I'm still really happy to talk about design and I am, um, I don't think I'm in, you know, like I still do things like uh, tutor creative students and things like that as well. And, you know, more the practical side. So I'm still very much like involved in that world and, and um, hope they'll have a few things to sort of up to my website soon, um, which is um, srgcreative.co.uk um, and just you know, like different workshops and things like that. Um, it should be exciting, I hope, still. Because <laughs> I still, you know, obviously, like, I I'm, I still love to be involved in just design in general. Um, and I'm always open to start talking about design with people, both for projects, but just in general to other designers that are interested in how they can use it to turn something they're interested in into a PhD project, because there's just not enough of it. So mm. It's very lonely here in health sciences as the only graphic designer. <laughs> <laughs> doing all these nurses and psychologists who just like, what? <laughs> it would be really good to see more like creative people and not creative people from different backgrounds, I think, just sort of mm. getting into it. So I'm always happy to sort of, you know, like if people want to talk about it or talk through ideas and proposals, I think sometimes people, PhDs sound scarier than they are. And sometimes I think people have more of an idea and more skills than they actually realize, mm. but you wouldn't know, I don't think, because it's not easy to get hold of that information. And mm. um, I think for my study itself, it's specifically looking to work with in this phase undergraduate black students. And then 
there might be an opportunity by the time this comes out still, if there are students that want to be involved and they can sort of go to the same website. Um, but it might be by, I guess, in the next sort of few months, I'll see how things go, really. Um, the next sort of phases, I'll be sort of speaking to people that work in the areas of equality, diversity, inclusion in universities. So I'm also really interested to hear from and then people that are actively working in those areas and those sorts of roles. Mm-hmm. And then it'd be great to hear from them. And, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, I think all the other sort of things that'll be coming up if I'm doing any more events and things, I'll be adding stuff to my website as time goes on. And I know I've got a couple of like things that are, are coming up sort of towards the end of the year and early next year that mm. hopefully interesting to be built we'll see. <laughs> and but yeah i think that's everything thank you again to sarah for being my guest thanks again to all my guests and thanks to you Leeds, for being my subject and of course most of all thank you to you my dear listener come back next week to listen to some back episodes i want to do something for my first 50th episodes so um i don't know what that is yet though it's big for me and that's what counts here and here is the only place that that does count i haven't decided on anything yet and there's no point asking listeners because i don't hear from listeners well except for one but there will be something good grief i really didn't think this would be this hard how hard can it be to find two people a week and record them talking about work really fucking hard apparently of course if i was born posh or had been handed an asset by a posh person the other way one makes money on this island, then I could have just done it and probably would even have had some lackeys to help me. It would have been some effort, but really it would have been total piss to do it that way. But then if that was me, I wouldn't have wanted to talk to ordinary people, would I? No, I would, like every other podcast out there, have been looking to talk to no names but that ain't what working hours is. There will be stuff, some stuff, don't know what yet, there will be summit. Oh, and uh, if you are going to any of the Climate Rebellion this year, please let me know, especially if you will be arrestable. It'll be good to get one of you on record for this show. We can always discuss a suitable time for publication. And if you aren't going, then I guess you're committed to working towards our total extinction, and I would like to commend you on the impeccable job you've done on that project so far. Truly epic stuff. Okay, that's me. Cheers, ears. Take care out there and be kind to each other, Leeds. If you're listening to this, I assume you have some connection to Leeds, like living here or being from here. If you're such a person in Leeds or from Leeds and you haven't done your recording for working hours yet, then don't wait. Email me now, right now. Quick, get a pen. Workinghourspod at western-studios.com. If you fancy being my guest, put guest in the subject line of your email and add a short bio in the message. Stick in some suggestions of your availability and I'll send you a release form and a Zoom invite. If you'd like to be on working hours, I will need a two-hour window for us to record in. I can record in your work time or during your downtime. I have been recording interviews for working hours for every year on Zoom, but I can also record offline. You can appear on Working Hours anonymously, or you can promote yourself and or your company or brand, cleaner or owner. What is your experience? How do you feel about work? What do you like and not like? What do you do, Leeds? Be a part of local history. Have your voice heard. Share your wisdom. Give us the inside skinny. This is your show, Leeds, and it's all about what you make of yourself. Do you know what you're doing? 
If you do, then come and tell me all about it. Come on working hours, even if you don't know what you're doing. I certainly don't. Email me right now. Quick, get a pen. Workinghourspod at western-studios.com. If you're allowed to do that, that is. If you're not allowed to do that, then tell me why. If you and your business aren't ashamed of what you do, then let's hear all about it. What good are you doing the rest of us? Are you socially useful? Am I? Is this? Send your feedback, questions, comments, and queries right now to workinghourspod at western-studios.com. What is happening, Leeds? Find out by following this show on Twitter at Working Hours 3 and on Instagram at Working Hours Pod Leads to find out when new episodes are going to be released. Or just use the hashtag hash Working Hours Pod Leads on either of those sites to find me. I'm on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Western underscore studios underscore leads. I'm also on LinkedIn, linkedin.com forward slash IN forward slash Simon hyphen Treen. Treen is T-R-E-E-N. Or you can go to my company page, which is linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash Western hyphen studios. If you want to make a podcast in Leeds, whether it's for a cause, a publicity campaign, a product promotion, or your own passion project, then get in touch with me, Western Studios, for support, advice, and guidance on anything podcasts. At Western Studios, you work with a real life lawyer who is actually in Leeds, who you can actually work with on making podcast content. So don't wade through articles and videos and podcasts about how to make podcasts. Just get on with it. Western Studios can make your podcast with you or even for you. Western Studios can take on your podcast boring, time-consuming and painful admin, recording, editing, transcription, whatever. Tell me about it. I feel your pain. For a charge, I'll share it. Writers, what are you doing with your lives? Hopefully you're writing. Well, I know there are listeners out there who want to hear great original writing performed as audio content and made in Leeds. How do I know this? Because I'm one of them. Help me make Muck for Brass, a series of short stories, poems, performers, whatever, all published as podcast content. Is your work arty, salacious, pulpy, strange? Good. I want to make it a podcast. I get practice making the show. And you get a finished, performed and published version of your writing. Businesses, campaigns, brands got an inkling that you'd like a podcast, but don't know where to start. Hit me up at makemypodcast at western-studios.com and we'll start making your podcast straight away. The first hour of arranged consultation and pre-production time is free. So what do you have to lose? And what are you waiting for? Save yourself the hassle and the headache and make your podcast with a leads-based, in real life, podcast producer, that's me, Western Studios Leads. Once again, please let Working Hours get big and strong by joining its Patreon. Support Working Hours by becoming a champion on Patreon for a pound a month. You can inspire me and motivate me with a membership and maybe one day even be helping to cover all my costs. You can chat to me there and see me do a monthly live stream where again, you can chat to me all about the show and God, do I need to find someone to actively share this project with. Go to patreon.com forward slash working hours pod right now and sign up, please. And or go to Kofi, that's K-O hyphen F-I dot com forward slash working hours and join me there for a pound a month and get access to the working hours discord and chat to me there. I will be putting up additional material on Kofi once there are any members there. Please do remember to like, share, follow and subscribe to this show. Every little bit helps. Tell your grand, tell your housekeeper, tell your gardener, tell your parole officer, tell your boss, tell leads and I'll see thee 
next time, our kid. Working Hours is presented, edited, and recorded by Simon Treem for Western Studios Leeds Limited. The music was The Bees from Chopin's Etudes, which is in the public domain and was taken from museopen.org. <laughs>